seat. I need to borrow one of these stands if that's okay. Thank you. My physical therapist keeps telling me I'm damaging myself, and since he comes to church here, I'm going to try and be good. <laughs> oh my goodness. I tell you what, with what's going on in the world today, I could just wait till Saturday night to write sermons and just preach on what happened yesterday. But that is not how I roll. Truth is eternal, and uh, I, uh, I do not allow uh, circumstances to direct my life nor my messages, and uh, I, I believe that there are eternal answers to the problems that we're facing. Uh, today we are going to wrap up a series that we started back in March. It hasn't been that actually that long of a series, but we broke it up to interrupt it for the coronavirus, and so yay team. Uh, that, that, that original series is called Man of God, and it's been focused on helping us uh, direct the men of this body to how we might serve our families and our communities uh, more powerfully. Today I'm at the last part of that series. There were four focuses. One was the cowboy stage. And where a young man begins to find out uh, what he can do and test himself and find his strength and learn how to depend upon God. And then the warrior stage where a, a, person, a man learns how to work with others and how to lead. Then last week we talked about the king. The king stage is where he learns how to serve and to serve those that he is responsible for. Today we move into this stage called the, the sage. Didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. If anyone wants to make a rap song out of that, feel free. And I will do it here live for my family. Um, just kidding. Inside joke, inside joke. Can't actually do that. Uh, and so let me start today with a question. And I'm directing this at men, but ladies, you can take it on too. And here's the question. What if what God wants you to do with your life isn't for your life? What if what God wants you to do with your life isn't for your life? What if what God has for you to do in your lifetime is for your grandchildren? Not your children, but your grandchildren and their children. And what I'm talking about is something that Christians need to really step into. We've gotten so microwave in our thinking, so short-term in our thinking. We live for this moment, this day, how I feel, and this second, actually. And we are losing our ability to think generationally, which is the death of a society and a culture, by the way. When we can't see what we're doing to our grandchildren, we get short-sighted and we destroy their future. And our future is usually okay. And so, as men, I want to challenge you to rise up in this area and lead for a future that may not be for you. A future that you may lay a foundation for, but you don't get any credit for. Would you be okay with that? I mean, if, if you could give your great-grandchildren a better future, would you be willing to sacrifice the credit and the comfort in this life now? Would you be willing to do that? It's a big question to consider. It's one we need to think about seriously and long and even though I'll probably have a decision point or a challenge in this message, I, what I hope it does is create enough discomfort in all of us that we bake on it for a while and we, we begin to institute some long-term actions and commitments in our lives that prepare a better future for our great-grandchildren. And so today, I'm going to look at David's life and draw some lessons out of it that I think are amazing. I think they're filled with incredible hope. 
And I also think that the responsibility, that if you take the responsibility of, of leaving a legacy, but you take that responsibility and submit it to the power of God, you can, change, you can literally have a, a change in the world that resonates from your life. And so, yeah, I believe this hope. It's very future-oriented, and to me, it's very motivating. So let me lay the basis for David's life before I get to the application. We have been using King David as an illustration of these stages of a man's life, but by the way, he could be at all four at the same time. I'm just breaking them down in, into a way that we could discuss them individually. King David was the second king of the nation of Israel. Israel had three kings while they were united, one nation, nation of Israel. There was Saul, David, and Solomon. Then Rehoboam took the throne. There was an almost civil war, and they broke into the north and the south. Being from the south, that resonates with me some weird, strange way. But there was the north and the south. The kingdom of Israel was in the north. The kingdom of Judah was in the south. Now, of their entire existence as a nation of Israel, there were three kings while they were united. The northern kingdom had 19 kings. The southern kingdom had uh, 20 kings. Altogether, there were 42 kings of the nation of Israel. The northern kingdom fell 136 years before the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom fell to Assyria. The southern kingdom fell to Babylon. That's your history lesson for today. There's a test when you leave. Fill it out. Pop quiz. All right? Now, here's the thing. Of those 42 kings, the Bible declares 10 good kings. Of 42, God says 10 times this was a good king, this was a good king, this was a good king. Of those ten kings, only five times did their good reign continue into the reign of their son. And the longest stretch of good kings was three. Three kings, Joash started it, and his son and grandson continued. For three kings, you had a nation that was dependent upon God. That was the longest stretch in their history. 42 kings, only 10 were good, only 5 were able to help their sons have a good reign. Now, back to David. King David was great in a lot of ways, but as a father, he stunk. Okay? I don't know how else to say it. He failed with all of his kids except Solomon. Solomon was the only son he was able to train and prepare to take on the kingdom and to step into a God-following role. And we'll, we'll look at that in just a minute, some things that happened in his life. So we're going to think about David's story and how the things that God did for him and how he was able to uh, hand this kingdom off. So let me jump in. I'm going to skip a few slides. Hannah, if you're over there going, what's he doing? It's because I'm over here going, what am I doing? 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 20, 21, verse 29. I'm just going to read you the end of the story, and I'll explain it, okay? At that time, the tabernacle of the Lord, which was a tent at that time, and the altar of burnt offering that Moses had made in the wilderness were located at the place of worship in Gibeon. But David was not able to go there to inquire of God because he was terrified by the drawn sword of the angel of the Lord. That's a pretty cool scene, right? That would look good in a Lord of the Rings type film. Then David said, this will be the location, I'm jumping to 2 Chronicles 22.1, this will be the location for the temple of the Lord God and the, altar, and the place of the altar for Israel's burnt offerings. So I read you two passages, they didn't make sense the way I read them, I know that, but I'm going to explain it, okay? 
David had two major foul-ups when he was king. Two times he really, royally, and he was king, so if you're king it has to be royal, royally messed up, okay? Uh, the first time was with Bathsheba, all right? He, uh, he was lazy, decided to have a Netflix weekend, stayed home on the rooftop, saw a hot babe, things went where they shouldn't have went, he ended up being a father to a child by a woman that wasn't his, but it's okay because he killed the dad, I mean the, the husband, and uh, covered it all up, corruption, yada yada, all those kind of things. CNN did not report, um, nor, nor Fox, and, uh, but God did. <laughs> God sent a prophet. <clears throat> David, David had an annoying prophet in his life. I think everyone needs an annoying prophet, but anyway, the point is, David's behavior did not measure up. He failed. He ended up killing a man. The child that came out of the union ended up dying. David had married Bathsheba, and so they had another son named Solomon. When Solomon was born, the same prophet that came to David and and pointed out his sin also came to David the day Solomon was born and said, uh, you've named him Solomon, but God names him Jedidiah, which means beloved of God. And what I want you to see from David's horrible mess up is that God was way bigger than David's mistake. Not only that, God doesn't just cover sins, he redeems them. What does that mean? God took the ashes of David's worst mistake, his worst moral failure, and he had a few by the way. He took the ashes of his worst moral failure and he took those ashes and made the next king of the nation of Israel. You cannot screw up so bad that God can't use your worst mistake to change the world. You cannot mess up God's plans for you. And so David made a terrible mistake, and of that, God found, in David's worst moment, the next king of the nation of Israel. Now, that wasn't all. That wasn't David's only mistake. I actually, the passage I read to you was about a census that David took. I don't know if you know who David's number one right-hand man was. His name was Joab. Joab was not a nice guy. I mean, he was not, nobody liked Joab. I mean, even mean people didn't like Joab. I mean, he was naughty. He was naughty, okay? And David says, you know what? Let's count everybody. And Joab, of all people who had murdered innocent people, comes up to David and said, no, no, don't do this. Please don't count the people, however many they are. That's great. Don't do that. Joab saw what was wrong and what David, the pride in what David was doing. But David was king. He ended up with a final decision. I don't know if you know the story or not, but David's census ends up in a plague striking the nation of Israel. 70,000 people die. Outside the nation of Israel, there is a visible angel standing with his sword drawn, ready to Jerusalem. And, and David, <laughs> this is what I just read, he, he sees the angel and he freezes. But angels, man. Anyway, I'm just reminded of that verse in Jude 1.10 that talks about people that, that sh- uh, spout off about angels. And Jude says, these people scoff at things they do not understand. I- I'm just saying, David, this warrior who had taken so many lives, won so many battles, was terrified at the sight of this angel. So David's 
mistake of the census ended up in him buying a piece of land in which they made a sacrifice to end the plague. And that piece of land became the temple site. David's two worst mistakes produced the king of Israel and the temple site. Do you understand how significant that is? David's, David's the ashes of his worst decision God used to form the future of a nation. That's awesome. And so today, as we begin to look at how to apply these amazing ideas, this, these, these scriptures about um, how we can move on and, and build a legacy in our life, we need to take courage. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. It doesn't matter what it, whatever your worst sin is. The blood covers it. God redeems it. And most likely, God will use your worst mistake to build a whole new future that's beyond your wildest dream. Most likely, that's what he's going to do. Why, did he mean for you to sin? No, 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 no. God uses the devil's plan so effectively for good that you think God did it all along. But that's not how he works. Now, so David, <clears throat> David made some big mistakes. David, though, did one thing right consistent in his life, and that's what, when he got a word from God, he trusted it. And so we read in 1 Chronicles 22, 5, David says this, he says, my son Solomon is still young. I'm assuming he wrote this when Solomon was still young <laughs> and inexperienced. And since the temple to be built for the Lord must be a magnificent structure, famous and glorious throughout the world, I'll be, I will begin making preparations for it now. So David collected vast amounts of building materials before his death. What I want you to see is David had messed up, God had redeemed those mistakes, and God had given David promises. He said, hey, Solomon's going to be king, and, you're, and, and he's going to build the temple. So here's, what's, here's where David's heart is, and this is what we as fathers need to get a hold of. David's heart is, my son's going to get to do something for God that I wanted to do for God. I want my son to be a massive success. So David set out to prepare the way for Solomon to be a success. He began to save money, gold, silver, iron for clasps and hooks. He began to build relationships with neighboring nations that had the artisans that would be needed to build the temple. All of these things David did in his lifetime while Solomon was young to prepare the way for Solomon to do something that David would never even get to see. He spent a vast part of his older life preparing for Solomon's future. Now, uh, I'm going to read 1 Chronicles 22. Now my son, then he gives Solomon. Look at what he does to Solomon. Now my son, may the Lord be with you and give you success as you follow his directions in building the temple of the Lord your God. And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding that you may obey the law of the Lord your God as you rule over Israel. For you will be successful if... You carefully obey the decrees and regulations that the Lord gave to Israel through Moses. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or lose heart. David prepared financially and with relationships for Solomon, and then he actually prepared Solomon. Ta-da! Here's a father pouring into his son. You ever read the book of Proverbs? I challenge people to read 
a proverb a day. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. People who are doing it, you probably read Proverbs 31 this morning. This, this, this proverb about the amazing woman, like my wife. Aw. 33rd anniversary last Friday, guys. <sighs> she knows how to stick with a bad choice. That's all I know. <clears throat> David poured into Solomon and prepared Solomon to succeed. And if you read Proverbs, much of that is a father's counsel to his son. Preparing him. A lot of what Solomon gets credit for was actually stuff David said to Solomon. Some of it anyway. And so David prepared Solomon. He, he may have failed in a lot of ways, but he didn't fail with Solomon. Now, that's, that's kind of what happened in David's life. And so... I want to take this and apply it to ourselves. I, I'm encouraged by how David messed up and God redeemed it. How God took his worst mistakes and out of it we get a king and a temple site. I think that's exciting. So now guys, let's look at ourselves and how can we apply this? First of all, we remember that God doesn't just forgive, he redeems. He doesn't just forgive, he redeems. What does that mean? It means he buys it back. It's his now, and he does with it what he wants and what is right. That's what it means when he redeems it. Now it's no longer used for stupid. Now it's used for right and good. And so your worst mistake is not enough to ruin you. Your worst mistake is not enough to ruin the lives of your children. Wallowing in that mistake is, but the mistake itself is already purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so this is where we have to be. We have to release our worst mistakes. It's okay to grieve them. It's okay to own them. We should. We certainly need to apologize to some people and reconcile some things. Those are usually the case. But my friends, it's time to stop wallowing in them and stop thinking that because you did a terrible thing or failed in a terrible way that now God can't use you. Come on, man, you need to look at the Bible's Hall of Fame. It's all a bunch of losers filled with God's power who did something that losers can't do. They did something awesome. Often things that were way beyond their lifetime. And so that's where we have to begin. We need to, we need to stand up in our own hearts and say, it's all under the blood now. It's all in the blood. It's over now. Uh, Peter, Peter put it this way. You know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. I know what it's like to hear the enemy's voice in your echo chamber whispering all that negative garbage. You'll never get anywhere. You failed too many times. You're too old. You're too dumb. You're too mean, too grumpy, too tired. I don't know, whatever. That's in my chamber. I don't know what's in yours, okay? It's time to stop losing hope. It's time to start dreaming again. It's time to start seeing past tomorrow and start seeing into your grandchildren's lives. How many grandchildren we got now, hon? I lose count. We'll soon have seven. We, Cody and Mary are having twins. They're miracle babies. They couldn't have one, so God said, I'll give you two instead. God's good. 
<clears throat> they are an amazing story of redemption. Anyway, what if my life is, is for their world? What if I dream for them? What if what has happened, what if my mistakes are actually building their future? No, that can't happen if you ignore your mistakes and hide them, but it can happen if they're under the blood of Jesus Christ. It can happen if you let God redeem them. It can happen if you humble yourselves and realize, I mean, yes, I messed up, but it's okay. Jesus so excelled that he overcomes all my mistakes and all my failures. And so, man, if we could do this, my, my dad's, I know I talk about him some, my dad's a hero to me, though. He broke a heritage, a curse on my family tree of poverty, of uh, loss, of powerlessness, all because he met Jesus Christ in his living room one Thursday night, and, and he decided that what he grew up with was not adequate for the future that he wanted his children to have. And so he taught me and my brother and now prays for his grandchildren in a way that they'll have a future that was never even available to him. He broke off a curse of poverty on the Maynard family, is what he did. And in doing, and, and so what if we got that kind of mindset, guys? What kind of curses are on your family line? And what if we stopped walking forward going, well, it'll never be the same, I mean, it'll never change. We're always going to be broke. We're, we're always going to have to deal with sickness. We're always going to have divorces in our family. We're always going to have addiction in our family. Instead of bowing to the lies of hell, what if we stood up into the promises of God and said, no, all these curses are broken in Jesus' name. The blood of Jesus redeems every mistake that's ever happened in my family line. And from this day forward, I break off the curse in Jesus' name. My kids will not live under that. You see, the Bible says in Acts 2.39, the promise is to you, it's to your children and to those far away. The promise is to you, say me. me. It's to your children, say my kids. my kids. And to those far away, that's the promise of God, all who've been called by the Lord our God. Paul goes on to write in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all of God's promises have been fulfilled Past tense, have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. What does this mean, Michael? Paul answers it, verse 21, it is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has committed us. What is the word saying? The word's saying all the promises are fulfilled in Christ, presently, past tense actually, and going into the future. They're alive. Oh, by the way, I, I guess I better read verse 22. Sorry, got excited. And he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. God has God promised your sins are covered, your past is redeemed. He's promised a future for you. He's promised better for that next generation and for your legacy. Those are the promises. And what you should do and what I should do is we should do what Paul said, and we should say, yes, amen. 
The, the addiction is broken. The poverty is ended. The joblessness is over. The divorce broken. All of it done in Jesus' name. Why? Because God promised. God promised. And I say yes to the promise. If you don't say yes to the promise, you say yes to the curse. You understand? That, and, and that's what we're doing right now. I, I know things are tough, but we all were asking God earlier this year, God, 2020, we want clarity, and God is letting us have clarity. Amen? He's showing you all the worthless things around you, all the things that are broken that need his redemption. They are coming clearly into focus. And you know what? He does, you know he doesn't want us just to sit at home flicking through the TV, sending off the memes going, well, there's nothing I can do about it, right? He actually has us on the earth to make a difference here. That's why we're here. I mean, if that, if, if there, we are here to be, to present, represent Christ in this world, to bring kingdom values to place, to love where no one else is loving, to understand where no one else is willing to understand. That's what we're here to do. And so I know it's easy to get scared and angry. By the way, scared, angry, same thing, just different expressions. Okay? And so I, I know how hard that is. But guys, we have hope. Why? Well, we got the promises already fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If we're in Him. We need to stop saying yes to the news, yes to the feed, and start saying yes to the promises of God. God can break this off. So when we declare amen, we as men stamp, stomp our foot in the ground and we say here, the curse ends with me. On my family, for my community. I was thinking through this morning some of the situations that have developed in the last week. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, what drives me crazy is that so few are willing to understand the situation. It, it, personally, I, I don't, I'm, I'm about to sound really rude, and if you know me, I don't mean to be rude, but right now I guess I kind of do mean to be rude. If you're too lazy to read on the issue, you should shut up. If you're too lazy to find out what the issues are, you shouldn't say anything. And, and I'm, I don't mean that as, I guess I do. I, I've just, there's so much echoing of the enemy and accusation. And we are people of hope. It doesn't mean we don't get to say uncomfortable things to people. I get a little tired of doing that sometimes, but it, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that we look at a situation, and even if we have to do something that is harsh or strong, it is for a purpose of hope. It is for a purpose of the future. And so, guys, we as, our, as the fathers in our homes, leaders in our businesses, uh, husbands of wives, we need to look past this chaos of now and begin to ask, what needs to be broken off? What are the promises of God? And how can I prepare myself and my children and my family for God's future? Tell you what happens, when you start to move into God's promises, God will blow your mind. The Bible says this in 2 Samuel. I love David because David is just the most, he's just this honest guy. 
He's just really honest. When he's mad, you know he's mad. When he wants to murder his enemies, he tells you that. Uh, when he's happy, he's happy. I, I call him the Old Testament's manic depressive. He's, he's something else. He's, already re- he's messed up his life so bad with Bathsheba and with the census, but now God says, hey, your son's going to get to build these things. He's going to be king. And, and after dealing with God for a while, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 19, David says this, do you deal with everyone this way? Oh, sovereign Lord, what more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like, sovereign Lord. Do you hear that? God knows what you're like. And he still likes you. He knows what you're like and he still likes you. He knows what you're like. He still wants to be with you. He knows when you're grumpy. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been good or bad. So be good for goodness. Anyway, sorry. So guys, men, women, everybody, let us learn to rest in the promise. The promise is that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus can meet this. All the promises are in Jesus. The promise is that no matter what you face in your society right now today, that you have enough Jesus in you to meet that challenge. Seriously, how many of you guys, you don't have to, you don't have, you have to indicate in any way, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to wave, stand up and dance or anything. Just like, how many of you are facing something right now and you're like, I, I do not know what to do. Let me ask you something. If Jesus were sitting in front of your problem right now, would he know what to do? Like, he's better than Google. (laughs) He knows. And he's in you. Right? Isn't that the promise? God said he put his spirit in you. So right now, it's not just your two eyes looking at your problem going, I don't know what to do. It's also his eyes looking at the problem, and he's going, I know what to do. I know what to do. We've got a a promise from God for this problem. And I believe that that's true. I believe there's a promise in God's word for every single problem you're ever going to face in life. And I believe that if you can stop, stop... the chaos and the noise in your own mind long enough that you can listen to God speak it. And I think that's the magic bullet. If there is a magic bullet, it's this. Hear God say what God has to say. And if you can hear God say it, you'll have your answer. You'll have your hope. You'll have the power. I, I got to hurry up. I got excited and then I got lost. Jesus found me, so now I'm coming back. So let me just jump into this. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that in this room right now, in this community, and I I tell you what, we live in a great community. There's some great believers in this city. We have the answer to the challenges that we are facing. We have hope within us for these challenges. And you and I have Jesus in us, and we can meet these things, and we can beat these things. We can and I know you're sitting there going, I don't know how, I don't even know if I care. Well, one, if you've got Jesus with you, in you, he cares, so you care. All right? And so the Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, Now all glory to God, who's able, through his mighty power, work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Men, if you're willing to plant your, faith, your feet in your faith, 
and in the promises of God, and if you're ready to break off the curses of your past, God's ready to blow your mind. God's ready to do more than you ever thought. You ever, you're... Your wildest dreams. Next verse. I got several I want to show you. 1 Corinthians 4.20. The kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. What would happen if we stopped trying to survive and we started living in God's power? What would happen? And so... God's power in you to do beyond your wildest dreams. God's power through you, work in your life. Stop surviving and start moving into his thriving. Verse uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 7. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. Guys, you see in the scriptures that you are warriors and not wimps. You see that? Here's the, here's the word of God telling you. Right hand to attack, left hand to defend. He's painting you like a a Roman soldier with your shield up and your sword out. You're here to fight. You're not just here to go to church. Isn't that freeing, guys? You're not just here to sit and listen and be good. I'll be honest with you. I love when you come to church. I love a chance to speak in your life. Thank you. I like it even more when you go up and stir up trouble in Jesus' name. When you go out and help somebody. When you go out and love on somebody. When you skip church to invest in your marriage or your kids, you realize, I I think church is important, but your priority should be God, family, ministry, in that order, okay? Meaning that you worship him first, you take care of your family because that's your first calling. Your husband, God called you to it. Said, hey, Steve, Becky's your wife, be her husband. That's a calling. God called you, answered, all right? So... Pick it up, walk into it as a warrior. Bury the lie that you're a wimp. 2 Timothy 2, 3, 2, 2, and 3. You've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The next thing that I want to show you is that the word of God intends for us to pass our faith on. I think your first responsibility if you're a, a dad is your, your family. Pass your faith on to your kids. If the church could just do that, we'd guarantee the future of Christianity forever. Especially if we had more kids, but that's another discussion, okay? <clears throat> kind of a tongue-in-cheek joke, but not all of you wanted to go there. I understand. I have eight kids, so it's not funny to me either. <laughs> disciples follow Jesus. Jesus made disciples. And so disciples make disciples. That make sense? Start with your family and then your friends. By the way, discipleship always begins with friendship. I think that's one of the mistakes the evangelistic decades have made is that they tried to evangelize the world without befriending it. And I, I think that's a great place to start. The point I'm trying to make today, guys, is that the sage stage of life i didn't mean for that to rhyme but it happened is about past you it's about it's about giving a future to someone and giving the successes to someone else that you may not get credit for that may no, no one may ever even know you contributed you know some of you in this room are great prayer warriors and i want you to know i greatly appreciate you 
Because what very few people realize is that it's not the people out there preaching the sermons and uh, writing the articles and having the conversations that are having a spiritual influence on the world. It is the prayer warriors behind them that are empowering them to make a difference. I could not do what I do if it weren't for the people who pray for me. And I could do it but have no effect. You understand? They're the power of this ministry. But it's something they never get credit for. You'll, I mean, it's, it's almost impossible. I don't even know who they all are. I can tell you about what time they start praying on Friday night. That's all I know. Okay? <clears throat> I don't know who they are. You'll never see a service that starts bringing up all the prayer warriors. Maybe one day we'll try and do that. The point I'm trying to make is they're behind the scenes doing what they do for the king and their efforts are contributing far more than the people you see. And it's the same with your life. What you're doing now is contributing far more than you realize. And we have to live for that. We have to give our children a future. Our grandchildren a future. And by the way, every parent knows you like your grandchildren more than your kids anyway, right? <laughs> I'm asking you today to say yes to God's future. If I said anything that was offensive, and I probably, I meant, I meant to because sometimes I get grumpy, you know. My heart isn't to offend. My heart is simply to point out that love is hard. It takes tough men to love. It's hard to listen when you want to punch. It's hard to be patient when you want to just jump in and fix it. But we're not here just to get stuff done. We're here to build a future. And we're living the future our parents built and our grandparents built. And so we, we need to think that way. And one thing you could do today is you could plant your feet and you could shake off the lies that what you've done has ruined your influence. That's not true. And you could stamp your feet in the ground and say, from this day forward, I break off every curse that comes against my family or my grandchildren or my friends or my church or my community. You could do that. Let's stand together. Let's have the worship team come. <clears throat> Father God, I'm asking you to take the ashes of the worst mistakes in this room, thanks Jody, and build a future with them. Lord, I cannot change what's happened around the country or the world. I don't live there, but I do live here. And I love my community. I love my church. I love the churches in this town that we have relationships with and that we know. I love our city. And Lord God, I, I believe from the bottom of my heart that I'm standing in the midst of warriors who can build a future. We are not powerless. Yeah, many of us have taken our lumps recently. But Lord, just because we've been hurt doesn't mean we're down for the count. Doesn't mean we've lost. In the moment that it looked like your son had lost everything was the moment he actually overcame everything. So Lord, I pray for men, women, and children to plant their feet firmly in the promises of God, break off the lies of hell, and stand in God's promise and shout amen. And yes, and this ends with me, and this future starts with me.
In Jesus' name I pray, amen.